Jehovah, it's the name of God, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, that's him. That's the one who we find all of our strength and hope in. It's the one that we celebrate today, and I hope that you recognize we're not just here for the sake of fellowship with one another, but truly to allow God to have his way in our lives. And that's why uh, we worship. That's why we spend time in the Word. That's why we come together as a church. That's why we do any of this stuff. It's because of our opportunity for us to have a real relationship with a personal and almighty God. In December of 2009, Apple filed for a patent or a trademark on the phrase, we've got an app for that. It's a phrase that identifies the digital age in which we live, and it is amazing how far we have come. I recently read that on May 24th, 1844, Samuel Morse sent the first electric telegraph message from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, Maryland. The message simply said, What hath God wrought? Mr. Samuel Morse, a devout Christian, was quoting from Numbers 23, verse 23. For 30 years, Morse code was the most cutting-edge means of communication over long distance. Then in 1872, a guy named Joshua Coppersmith was arrested in New York City. He was charged with attempting to extort money from gullible people by convincing them to invest in an instrument that he said would transmit voice over wire. He called it a telephone. Coppersmith, though, may not have been a con man. What is more interesting is the reaction of the Boston newspaper that reported the case. The paper said, well-informed people know that it is impossible to transmit the human voice over wires, and were it possible to do so, the thing would be of no practical value. Of course, within four years, Alexander Graham Bell did send a voice over wire, and he did call it the telephone. I wonder what that newspaper writer would have said about something that seemed even more impossible, a telephone that transmits voice without wire. And today our phones can do so much more than make a phone call. Texting, calling, managing your calendar, making a grocery list, shopping, scheduling a haircut, basically anything you want, anything you need, there is an app for that. And certainly there are Christian apps that can encourage us on a daily basis, things uh, like we can keep track of devotions and different things, but they cannot guarantee that you will develop stronger faith. In fact, the closest thing that we can come to that would be God's Word, which there's an app for that too. But reading your Bible is still only the first step. You also must put into practice what you read practically applying it to your daily lives. Well, today, I want to begin a new series that is entitled Faith App. And in this series, it is based out of the book of James, a book that is all about practically using and developing your faith. It's only five chapters, but it covers so many different things that are very practical, again, that believers will face. But the centerpiece of James and his writing is a call to develop and exercise strong faith. 
So let's get started today with James chapter 1, where we'll see what it means for us to have a brave faith. Again, we won't read the entire chapter, much like we did last week. Instead, I want to encourage you to go back and read the rest of the chapter on your own. James chapter 1. For today, we're going to begin with verse 2. And before I read it, let me give you the first point if you're keeping track of the notes in your bulletin. God-sized faith will bring strength. In other words, it's going to be something that will be good for you when you have a faith that is strong like God's. Now look at James 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials of many kinds. It's something that we have become very familiar with, especially in recent days. At the beginning of 2020, we identified the church theme for the year as being 2020 vision. Our goal was to see the world as God sees the world. I don't know that any of us in January of 2020 could see what the world would look like today. Things have happened that we never would have imagined. In fact, the trials of many kind has taken on new meaning for us. So far, we've seen an economic collapse, unbelievable racial tension, rioting in the streets, and a global pandemic that continues to ravage our nation and even our state and local community. Of course, for many, worship even looks very different than it did just a few weeks and even months ago, as many states and communities are now enforcing mask laws, and it does make it more difficult. You know that for years, this service would normally have taken place in our sanctuary But simply because we can space out easier in here, we find ourselves in this building. Things have changed, and we understand trials of many kinds in a different way. Add to this the personal struggles that individuals and families have been forced to deal with. And we know what James was talking about when he says trials of many kinds. But as he talks about these trials, he uses terms that we normally don't associate with trials. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And to me, that seems like an odd statement. Does that mean you should be happy about the trials that you experience? While joy and happiness are similar to one another, the truth is they are not the same. I don't think James intended for the New Testament church, for the believers, to celebrate their suffering. Yes, I lost my job. Yes, I've got cancer. This is so wonderful. These don't seem like logical statements. In fact, I'm certain that that is not what James intended. But what he did intend was for God's people to be able to look at the bigger picture, to realize that God could use these trials of many kinds for something very, very good. You go through difficult times, but it doesn't have to be something that defeats you. It doesn't mean that you'll enjoy going through the junk, but it does mean that there's often more to the story than just your immediate suffering. I had a friend who recently 
resigned from his long-held position. The resignation was the result of some workplace turmoil that made the job less than enjoyable, to say the least, while it also kept him from being as effective as he needed to be. In that moment, this was a very difficult experience. I would even say a fearful experience. But the end result was something beautiful. The Lord continues to meet all of his family's needs while allowing him to now work alongside other family members. His suffering has led to something better. And the thing is, had he not gone through that time period of difficulty, of trials of many kinds, he probably never would have left the job that he was in. There was something else that was waiting for him that was even better, if only he were willing to move. Sometimes we need those trials to get us to that point. Now let me camp out here for just a moment. I need you to understand that not every trial will produce a better option. That's not what I'm telling you here. What I'm telling you is that God can use the trials you go through for something good, but not every trial will produce a better option. For example... A cancer diagnosis or a heart attack does not always lead to healing. Sometimes, because we live in a fallen world, there will be suffering and trials. It's just a part of life. Sometimes, God will spare us from that, but that will not always be the case. I wish that it didn't work that way. But consider the fact that most of the apostles would suffer trials of many kinds experiencing persecution in their lives over and over and over again. Consider the fact that the Apostle Paul spoke of the thorn in his flesh, which apparently God didn't see fit to remove. Some theologians have assumed that he is referring to an eye problem. If these incredible men of God had to endure trials of many kinds, what makes you think that Christians will avoid such things in this world. Yet James still tells us to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So what reason do we have to rejoice in our trials? I actually have two answers for you on this today. These are not necessarily in your sermon notes, but I want to encourage you to write them down. It's good for us just to realize there is something good that can come out of our trials. The first one is this, as we suffer trials of many kinds, we have the privilege of relating to Christ and the many others who have gone before us who have had to experience various trials. We're united with Christ in our suffering, and he also experienced trials of many kinds. But we are also in good company with the saints that have gone before us. The author of Hebrews tells us that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and who are these witnesses? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us of all these incredible saints who endured much difficulty, but they experienced great faith in the midst of it. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. For the joy set before him, sorry, let, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then listen to this last verse. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, trials of many kinds. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There is a sense of community within our suffering. Jesus also had to suffer trials of many kinds. The difference is that he willingly took that suffering upon himself. We're talking about God in human flesh, the one who deserved every blessing, every good thing, but instead he chose to suffer. Rejoice that you can relate to him in that way. But there is another benefit, and it's found in our passage. You see, suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, when it has finished its work, will lead us into maturity. In other words, your trials of many kinds can be good for you, but that might not happen overnight. You know, one of the things that concerns me today is that it would be easy for individuals to become somewhat disillusioned by all the trials that we are facing today. It would be easy to get our eyes fixed on all the junk instead of on Christ and what he may be about to accomplish. I've talked with individuals even this week that are frustrated that a church and a community, that even a state, would enforce laws that tell people you have to do certain things. You have to wear a mask, and it just doesn't seem right. We've already had to put up with all this junk that's gone on. People were told to stay home, and this was just going to be for a couple weeks. We just wanted to flatten the curve, and everything would be okay. Well, now we're past a couple weeks. People have gone back to work, and we're still fighting with the same thing. And it's frustrating. And it would be easy for us to become overwhelmed with the frustration that naturally begins to form. And what happens so often is when that begins to take place, we get our eyes off of Christ and what he wants to accomplish. It would be easy for us to give up on our faith before we're able to realize the great work that God is about to do. It is said that Thomas Edison failed more than 10,000 times before he perfected the light bulb. What if he had quit at 9,999? Boy, that would have been a life of failure. It would have been useless, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have these lights right now. Actually, we'd probably have candles and those kinds of things. The point is, if he'd have given up, if he'd have quit, he'd have missed the blessing that awaited. History says that Abraham Lincoln was a failed politician for most of his life. Yet he persevered, becoming the 16th president of the United States, even being elected to two terms. What if Lincoln had given up prior to his 1860 election? I guess we wouldn't have some of the greatest leadership examples that we received from him, the love and the compassion, the end to slavery. The point is that there may be greater things that await us. But in order to achieve them, we cannot give up. We must be brave enough to endure. Well, the second thing that I want you to see today is that gentle faith will bring peace. 
Turn with me there in James chapter 1 still, verses 19 and 20 of our passage today. It says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Again, I just want to point out that this sermon series was laid out prior to all the craziness that has erupted over the past month or so in our nation. But it sure seems appropriate at this time. And I confess that even for a pastor, this one is easier said than done. It's easy for me to tell you everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes that anger just begins to develop inside you, and you get frustrated, and you want so much to be able to share what's going on in your mind, especially on social media. It's so easy to get caught up in debates over things that people are also very passionate about. And somehow we think that we'll be able to change the minds of others. Then again, they think they'll be able to change your mind as well. Let me give you an example of this. I had a pastoral friend pose a question this past week on a closed Facebook page. There's only a few of us who can see it. In it, he asked why so many Christians were so passionate right now about race relations, yet so silent on issues like abortion. He accurately pointed out that on the high end of statistics, five black men might be killed by police officers in an average week. Certainly, even one is a tragedy, although it is often a situation where there is no other option for the officer. It's not always that there is an innocent miscarriage of justice taking place. He countered that with a verifiable statistic that more than 3,000 babies are aborted each day. The question he was asking was, why do we focus so much on one and not the other? It's a great question. It would seem that the answer is that often we are driven by our emotions more than we are facts. Emotions tend to speak louder than facts. And what happens is immediately we hear an argument and we have an opinion and we want to speak it and we want to let everyone else know what needs to be done different because it fits with our emotion and our thoughts. Yet often we have yet to even hear the facts. The truth is, anyone who loses their life because of a miscarriage of justice, it is a tragedy. It is an injustice that should not take place. But the problem is, once we've drawn our battle lines, it is hard to walk it back once we get the statistics, the facts. Maybe what we need to do is to once again take the words of James more seriously. Maybe we need to once again be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Understand that there is a time to speak, and there is a time to be angry. But let's listen first. Let's be brave enough to be quiet. 
I do just want to add one thought. I was in a conversation with Tim before church, and this was not intended to be a part of my sermon today, but it is now, so it's okay. Um, one of the mistakes we often make with this particular verse, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. One of the mistakes we often make is we think that if we are quiet, that counts as listening. There is an element of being quiet that will allow you to listen more effectively, no doubt about it. However, when you sit there quietly just waiting for the other individual to take their breath so you can be quick to get your opinion in, you've already stopped listening. You still may be quiet, but you've already stopped listening. When they make a statement and immediately you begin to think within your mind, how am I going to respond when that opportunity comes? You've stopped listening. They may be saying many other things afterwards, but you've stopped listening because you're already trying to figure out how can I respond. But James tells us everyone should be quick to listen. Listening is hard to do sometimes. But listening is something that must happen if you're truly going to be able to understand each other and come to a true good agreement. Husbands and wives, you guys understand this. Think about it. Most husbands really stink at listening. And just being honest, I'm a husband, I can say that. Our, our job is to fix things, and we hear of a problem, and we immediately want to come up with a solution. And the moment that problem is out there, we want very much to tell our wives how to fix it. Well, you know, sometimes they don't even want you to fix it. I don't even know why they're saying anything. I'm just kidding. I do. The truth is, often what they want is someone just to listen. It's their way of processing things. And maybe this idea that you have to fix things already, maybe they're even going to talk about it in just a minute. Listening opens up incredible doors. There is a time for us to speak. There is a time for us to be angry. But those are things that come after we have listened. In fact, verse 20 reveals that the problem that occurs when we get this backwards, it says human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The perfect image of this is Christ as the crucifixion story takes place. The onlookers mocked him. Even one of the men who hung on the cross beside him mocked him. Yet he chose be silent. Like a sheep before its shears is silent, so Jesus refused to utter a word. Let me add one more thought with this, and when you know you're right about something, you often want to correct others who are wrong. But it takes a big man or woman to know that you don't have to fix everything about everyone. Call it discernment, call it whatever you want. But silence can be a beautiful thing. By the way, as people mocked Jesus, Jesus knew he was right. But he remained silent. Why is it that we think we're better than Jesus? <laughs> we got to make sure people know who we are and what we're doing. 
we got to make sure people know what we know. The result when we choose silence is peace. Again, there's a time to speak up, but listen first. Let me look at one more thing today. In fact, it is, uh, uh, it is the fact that genuine faith will bring hope as well. It's based out of verse 27 of our passage. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Please understand that all of what I've shared with you today is still really important. And if you haven't figured out the very practical nature of the world in which we live and how the Scripture is connecting with it today, then you probably haven't listened as well as you've been encouraged to listen. Because the truth is, James is dealing with stuff that's really, really important. But I'm also going to suggest to you that this is perhaps the most important thing that you will hear today. So easy for us to sound super spiritual on whatever the hot button issue is of the day. It is so easy for us to stand up and to proclaim our opinions and correct the wrong assumptions of others. But the world doesn't need a bunch of people shouting about the sins of others right now. The world needs people who will go out and change the world around them. Not just tell people how to change the world, but to go out and be a part of changing the world. To make this more practical in dealing with an issue that I have already addressed today, I've given you uh, several statistics, and a few minutes ago I shared that over 3,000 babies are aborted each and every day. It's horrible. It makes you want to scream over a terrible injustice that is incur occurring. Maybe it even breaks your heart this morning. I imagine if I polled the congregation, those who are here in this room, those who are going to be in the second service, those who will be online, I imagine if I polled the congregation, the vast majority of you would recognize that taking the life of another human being is murder. Especially when we talk about a poor, defenseless child, one who does not have a voice. But what good does it do you to be angry or saddened over this injustice if it doesn't also lead you to do something about it? Some of you probably are already thinking, I'm going to go online today. I'm going to share social media-wise. I'm going to tell people that abortion is wrong. Man, that's great. Tell them. But then here's what I ask you to do. How about we start doing something about it besides just talking about it? How about we start supporting a local crisis pregnancy center that would give young mothers other options? How about we consider adoption, maybe even within our own families? How about we go out of the way to offer a loving environment and support to those with unexpected pregnancies? How about we stand up and march peacefully when the next annual March for Life occurs down in Columbia. Many of us have talked about things that we want to see changed. How about we actually go do something about it? To be the hands, we use the phrase, being the hands and feet of Jesus often. How about we actually be the hands and feet of Jesus? Go out and do something about the brokenness that exists in our world. I give you that as one example 
We know that abortion is a horrible thing. It is an injustice that takes place. The reality is there are many other forms of brokenness that exist in our society. And yeah, we can get all up in arms and we can be angry about it and we can shout at people that we ought to be loving. And we can try so much to change everybody else's mind about everything else that's going on. How about we go and actually be the hands and feet of Jesus? James is telling us here that we need to be a people of faith. Everything, if you look at all of this chapter today, it's all about faith. But I go back to something that I know we've all heard over and over again. Faith without works is dead. If your faith doesn't call you to action, what good was the faith that you had? I want to challenge you as the body of Christ to be brave enough to get involved, to actually change the situation. It's not going to happen just by talking about it. So why don't we do something about it instead? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I do pray for the faith of each individual who is here. I pray that it would be more than just a token faith, something that gets our ticket punched into heaven. But I pray that it would be a faith that causes us to be different people, to act differently, maybe even to change the world in which we live. I do pray for your wisdom. I pray that you would help us to recognize that as men and women of faith, it is really important that we listen. Lord, help us to listen to you first, to hear what you think, what you want. Well, there's tons of brokenness all around us. No question we understand what trials of many kinds look like here today. Help us in the midst of those trials of many kinds to see the bigger picture, to see you, and to realize that you are using even this for something good. Father, I pray today that you would help us as the body of Christ to simply be faithful to you. Use us to change the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, you want to hear something good that has come from this coronavirus. I know that there's a lot of bad stuff that has come from it. Um, we do our services online. We were doing our services online prior to the coronavirus, but we do our services online. And uh, what has happened is because of the fact that uh, we have promoted it much more as an online option, there are people from all over the world that get to listen to our services and are listening every single Sunday. And it is a good thing that has come from this coronavirus. Uh, we have individuals in Egypt. We have actually, I, I know of at least one who's in the military who has listened while overseas, actually two, excuse me. Uh, we have individuals in different places in the United States that they've openly told me that I wasn't really going to church, but I've been watching the services on a regular basis because of this coronavirus. I want you to know that God can use anything for good. You can wave. Yeah, go ahead. The camera's right back there. Go ahead, Tim. So it's, it's a great thing, and God can take those trials of many kinds, and he can turn it into something good. Maybe it would be a good exercise for us today. Start to look and see how God is turning this more difficult thing, these trials of many kinds, into something good within your own life. I'll give you another one for me. I've had the opportunity to spend more time with my family than what I normally would. It's been a wonderful thing. 
And that wasn't my wife doing that either, so thank you. I think that's a great thing. There, there are many good things that could come out of it. So what a great exercise for us as a church. What's something good that has come out of the trials of many kinds that you've experienced? It has been such a blessing to have you with us. Thank you for being with us today. Go in peace.